Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. And we talked last week about how God created everything in the earth, and everything that He created was good, and that He created human beings set apart from the rest of creation in His image. And because we were created in God's image, the heart of our lives, the heart of what we are and who we are supposed to be, is meant to reflect to the world the greatness of God. We talked that an image is created to set forth the reality for those who see it. And Chad's right here. So if you need one, go ahead and just raise your hand. Thanks, Chad. Um, The image, an image at its core is meant to image. That's it. It's meant to set forth reality. And so we're the image. God is the reality. And at the core of our being, the core of our being is setting forth the reality that God is good. And so this week, we're going to be talking about how is that fleshed out? What do we do? How do we reflect the goodness of God to the world? How do we do that? Um, I've been slowly reading through a book called The Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bovink um, since about 2020. Now, Herman Bovink was a Dutch theologian in the late 1800s, um, early 1900s. And just within the last uh, couple decades, actually, his stuff's been translated into English. And he's got some really rich, um, enriching things to say. In the very first sentence of his book, The Wonderful Works of God, is this. God and God alone is man's highest good. Before he writes about anything else in his, theolo- in his theology, the first thing that he wants us to know is that God and God alone is man's highest good. That's the precedent. That's the standard, that God and God alone is the greatest good for mankind. And so in light of that, in light of God being the greatest possible good, what do we do? What is our purpose? Now, I struggled with that question in my early 20s a lot. What is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? And oftentimes, if you have Instagram and you've got Instagram Reels, you are going to have just a wide variety of people telling you of what you are supposed to be and who you are supposed to be and how you're supposed to live your life. And if you, are, if you have a Christian algorithm on Instagram, you're going to have um, a wide variety of what God's will uh, for your life is. Oftentimes, it's talked about as a huge mystery that you've got to discover. And if you can just discover perfectly, to a T, what you are supposed to do, if you can discover what God's will is for your life perfectly, then you're going you're gonna to have a great life. Everything's going to be good. But if for some reason you can't figure it out, you're not living inside of that will for your life, then you're in deep water. And there's a massive mystery that you've got to figure out. And if you can't, you're in trouble. I think that's a lot of pressure. I think that is a lot of pressure that if you can't figure out the uh, exact specifics of God's will for your life, then you can't function. My goal is to help to get you guys around the divine purpose for your life and to help you see that it's not a major mystery 
that you need to employ Indiana Jones for or anybody like that, but it's simplistic and it's transformative. And the goal is that we can live out a general divine purpose from God. And inside of that general divine purpose, the specifics of your life can be flowed through it. Now what happens if you jump into open water with no life jacket? No scuba gear, no goggles. Is anyone afraid of open water as me? Titch? Anybody else? Just be honest. I am terrified of open water. My worst nightmare, my worst nightmare is going scuba, scuba diving, coming up, and the boat's gone. Like, if that would happen, I think I would just swim to the bottom of the ocean, and I would just call it, because I'm not going to be able to fight off whatever's going to come. So if you, personally for me, if I am left in open water, the very first thing that's going to happen to me is I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to be terribly, terribly, terribly afraid. I mean, like, do you guys know what swims in open water? I don't know if this is true, but I heard it, and I'm going to say it like it's true, but apparently we know more about outer space than the ocean. Is that true? So, Steelers over here, she's with me. It's true. We know more about outer space than open water. And my eyes aren't very good underwater, so when I, look, when I try to you know, go underneath and open my eyes, I can't really see. So there could be... There could be a creature one foot away from me and I would never know it. I, and I'm going to be terrified. I'm afraid of open water. Um, I actually don't even like thinking about it. If we are watching a, a movie or a show with uh, some sort of ocean in it, you can ask my wife. I'm like, this is, this is scary. I, I can't watch this right now. This is terrifying. Um, the ocean is scary. So I'm going to be living in fear. The next thing that's going to happen is that I'm going to have a quick realization that I'm not a very buoyant person. Personally, I'm not very buoyant. And so the phrase sink or swim has suddenly become my reality. I'm going to either sink or I'm going to have to fight to survive. Then if I do start to sink, if I do start to go underwater, the average human being can hold their breath for one to two minutes underwater. The average human being. Now there are some, we have a, a whole plethora of swimmers that come to our church I'm sure that doesn't apply to them. For me, I'm sure it's like 30 seconds. I can, I can hold my breath underwater, maybe. 30 seconds. So if I start to sink, now I have to start clawing and scratching and figuring out a way to survive, to catch my breath, so that if I go underwater, I can relax for a little bit so I don't have to fight. That's just if I start to sink. Now, if there are waves or strong currents or undertoes, not only am I going to be sunk but I'm going to be sucked under and thrashed and thrown. And again, don't even mention to me the barracuda that is coming to bite my calf. I, I told my wife, our whole dating relationship, it's not going to be a shark, it's going to be a barracuda that just wants a chunk out of my calf underwater, and I'm terrified. And so when I'm thrown into open water, me personally, my first and strongest instinct is to survive. That's it. It's just to survive. This is a little bit what it's like when we live in opposition to our God-given purpose. Our lives are thrown into open water, fighting and fending for survival. When you're living in opposition of what God has created you to, created you to be, fear is one of uh, your top um, emotions. And survival is your number one instinct. 
Fear and darkness surround us. The reason being is because humans aren't created to be water-dwelling creatures. All right? And there are some human beings who can train to go underwater a really, really long time. There are some, some humans who have trained to um, open dive way down deep. The problem is they can't live there. They're not created to be there for a long time. And so whatever that threshold is, they can train themselves to have some sort of uh, sanctity underwater, but eventually they're going to have to come up for air. We're not created to be water-dwelling creatures. But when human beings are on land, when you're just on land, we, we're living how we're supposed to be living. We're li living how we were created. And so the instinct of survival dims and the desire to thrive becomes brighter because human beings were created to live on the land. And if you don't believe me, just look at Manhattan, New York. Okay, Human beings who have had their survival instinct dimmed and their thriving instinct thrust to the forefront of their mind have created amazing structures. I mean, on a tiny little island, these buildings sprung up and the best food in the world all come to the same place, um, just humming around and just having a great time because they're not underwater and they're not thrashing around. They're able to thrive. So that's what it's like when we, when we are not living according to our divine purpose. So what is our divine purpose? How can we uh, be spiritually land-dwelling creatures? Well, there are a lot of councils over the last thousand years that have asked this same question. What are we supposed to be? But I think nothing sums it, sums it up better than the Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, question one. The very first question asked, what is man's chief end? And the answer, what is our divine purpose? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our first passage this morning is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's it. How does your life reflect that God is great to the world? By glorifying Him in everything that you do. We reflect, we reflect the greatness of God to the world by ordering our lives correctly. Verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so Paul lays it out pretty plainly there. Whatever you do, however you live, whatever you decide to be, do it all for the glory of God. You can eat for nourishment. That's a good thing, to eat for nourishment and to drink to quench your thirst and to go to work to provide uh, for your families and to play and have leisure for your own enjoyment and to exercise for your own health. All these are good things, but if any of those are the end reason, if that's where the reason stops, if you just eat to be full, then the greatness of God is not reflected to the world. But the order of your life as a Christian is that eating and drinking and anything that you do is for the glory of God. 
What's the will of God for your life? The general will of God for your life that in everything that you do, whatever job that you have, whatever food that you eat, whatever you do for fun, you do it for God's glory. And instead of having to know the perfect specifics of God's will for your life to function, the pressure release is that it doesn't really matter what you're doing as long as you're doing it for the glory of God. And so your job can be done for the glory of God. What you eat tonight can be done for the glory of God. It doesn't really matter if what you're doing is flowed through the lens that we're doing it for God's glory. Who you are is meant to affect what you do. And so as a created image bearer of God, we are supposed to reflect His greatness by bringing Him glory in all that we do. But our purpose doesn't stop there. There's a part B. And without this part, we don't really get the fullness of it. We're supposed to glorify God and, and enjoy Him forever. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our second passage is Philippians 4.4. 4. Philippians 4.4. 4. And Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Our divine purpose, who we were created to be, are image bearers who rejoice in our Lord always. What does it look like to rejoice? Now, I talked about basketball last week. I'm going to talk about basketball quickly again. But in 2016, the Cleveland Cavaliers were playing the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. They were down 3-1 in the series. They had this incredible comeback. Sean Lally and I were watching Game 7 at a friend's house in Blacksburg, Virginia. And as the last couple minutes of that game dwindled down, and Kyrie Irving hits the shot, and LeBron James makes the block, and Mo Spates misses the shot at the end, and the buzzer sounds... Sean and I jumped up, and there's a video somewhere out there. We embraced immediately. We're going wild. There's like four of us in this room. We're like ecstatic, excited. We're so happy that the Cavaliers could bring us so much joy and delight. That's what it looks like to rejoice in something. We were delighted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Rejoicing is to express joy and to delight Now, Greg and I have new offices right by Omaha Bob's, and they're right right as we walk out of our door. The next door that opens is a barbecue joint. And if you walk down that alleyway, you get that smell of Texas barbecue. I mean, every day I've gone there, I was like, I think I need a brisket sandwich today. (laughs) Like, I didn't think I needed one, but I'm pretty sure I need a brisket sandwich today. I remember... I can taste, even though I don't have it in my mouth at the time, I can taste and remember the goodness of the sandwich. And so I'm rejoicing, I'm delighting in the fact that I have this amazing food right in front of me. This is what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord always. We taste that He is good We take great joy and delight in the Lord forever. That's our purpose, that we enjoy being with God. 
And when we're not with Him, we think back and we remember the goodness that we get from being with Him. And that morning we think, oh man, all that I need is to be with the Lord today. So we don't only glorify God, but our purpose is to enjoy Him and to be satisfied by Him forever. God is not an overlord looking for subservience. He's relational. And the most basic purpose of humankind is to enjoy God forever in relationship. Here's what the writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith knew. You cannot enjoy God if you don't glorify Him. And you cannot glorify God if you don't enjoy Him. You can't enjoy God if you don't glorify Him. And you can't glorify God if you don't enjoy Him. You need both. The desire to do good and to express and reflect greatness to the world comes from the fact that you have a relationship with a great God who loves you and cares for you and one that you can enjoy. And so the goal is not blind obedience, but honoring God out of love and enjoyment of Him. So if this is all true, what do we do? How does this look in our life? So I want to just talk practically for a little bit. How do we express our God-given purpose by glorifying God to the world? The first thing is that we reflect a great God to the world with our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 is our third passage this morning. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You are not your own, but you were bought with a price, and because you were purchased, your call is to glorify God with your body. And I think that your body as a temple is one of the most misconstrued or um, out-of-context passages to Christians. Your body is a temple, so you can't eat that chicken wing, right? You can eat the chicken wing. It's okay. Paul is talking about how we express our bodies in moral excellence. And so when he says your body is a temple, what he's saying is don't use your body. Don't use your body to dishonor other people. Don't use your body to dishonor the people around you. The context is is that your body is made to express God's goodness to the world by how you honor one another. How you honor those around you. Your strength is used not to dominate or intimidate, but to protect. Your physique is not meant to seduce, but to express God's beauty to the world. Your fleshly desires are not meant as an excuse to indulge, but as a way to show self-control that your body is not your own, but God's. That's what Paul said. You are not your own. You were purchased with a price. And because your body is not your own, as believers, we're meant to make choices that reflect God is great with our bodies. We honor other people with what we do. To do that, we first have to flee from the physical sins of the body, but we also have to cling to the moral excellence of Jesus. 
and see that through his strength, we can honor one another with our bodies. So first and foremost, you are meant to glorify body with, or God with the body that you've been given by honoring those around you. The second way that we, re- we reflect a great God to the world is with our mouth and with our heart. Our next passage is Matthew 15, 17. Matthew 15, 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. It's not what you eat that defiles you, but what you say. Because what comes out of your mouth has come from your heart. Now, Jesus was uh, talking to a crowd of people, and most of them would have known that there was food laws in their time. There are certain things you're allowed to eat, and other things you're not allowed to eat. And sinners did not uh, adhere to these food laws. And, and so Jesus was trying to make an, an extreme point. It's not that you can gorge yourselves on food. That you're allowed to just eat whatever you want, however long you want, as much as you want. You know, that's not self-control. But he was making a point to say that you can follow all of the food laws. You can eat everything that's right and still not glorify me. And what happened is that they would follow all of the external laws, all of the right things to do, but what came out of their mouths was evil. And so Jesus' point was, you can eat everything that's good, Still not glorify me because what goes into your mouth will be expelled, but what comes out of your mouth will either build up or destroy. Because what comes out of your mouth comes from the heart. So we glorify God to a watching world. We reflect the goodness of God to a watching world by what we say. What comes out of our mouths. Because if goodness comes from you, it's come from your heart. And the key to Christianity is that if you're a Christian, your heart has been changed from stone into flesh. And so in the kingdom, our words are meant to bring life. Our words are meant to encourage those around us. Our words are meant to speak highly of others. We're meant to abstain from from gossip. And we're meant to promote the love of other people. Instead of all the opposite of those things. And so glorifying God with what we say is extremely important because what you say can build or destroy. The last way that we reflect a great God to the world is with your life. Who you are. Our next passage is Matthew 5.16. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Glorifying God with your life is a life of light. Shining brightly for all to see the glory of God as good. How you order your life is meant to shine forth to the world. 
How you use your time and your resources. How you treat other people. The good works that you do. The good things that you do is meant to show that God is great because everything that you do is for the glory of God. And so doing good for people is from God. And when you do good works, your light shines to the world. Christians should be known by how much good we do in the world. You reflect a great God by shining your light into the world by how you live. Christians should be the best neighbors. The best neighbors. If you have neighbors they, and they know you're a Christian, they should be excited about that part. Christians should be the best parents and the best friends and the best co-workers and the best travelers. I've been on mission trips where we were the rudest people. We shine our light to the world by how we treat the world around us. People should see how you act in what you do and be amazed by God's glory. Now these are some practical ways to glorify God, but how do we enjoy Him forever? How do we enjoy this God? Because if we miss that second piece, that we're meant to enjoy Him, and all that we do is you know, make sure that we do the right things with our body and we never say the wrong things with our mouth and we are upstanding citizens and that's it, then we've missed the relationship aspect of Christianity. And it's not Christianity so much as just being morally good people. So this piece is extremely important that we are meant to enjoy God forever. Enjoy God forever. This is the kicker. It's important to remember that you can't glorify God without enjoying Him. And that's the point. That glorifying God in these ways is impossible in your own strength. So the only possible way to glorify God and enjoy Him forever is this. By delighting in Jesus. The only possible way to glorify God and enjoy Him forever is by delighting in the King. Seems kind of straightforward, but to enjoy God is to enjoy the person of Jesus. Okay, it's extremely important that we understand that God is relational and it's part of our purpose to have relationship back to God. And in any relationship, for that relationship to thrive, to truly thrive, you've got to delight in the person in the relationship. If you have friends that you don't like to be around, those friendships don't last very long. You know, relationships where you don't like the person, it's hard to be around those people. Marriages are best when you are actively enjoying the person that you're with. You don't love your spouse because you're supposed to. You love them because you love them. That's the goal, that you want to come back to the person because it's enjoyable to be with them. And so, to enjoy God forever is to enjoy the person in the relationship. And that's Jesus. So let's look how Jesus describes this enjoyment in chief end to all spiritual things. And this is our last passage. John 6, 35. 
John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? I know that I am, and I know that it's my nature to have hungers and thirsts. It's all that I do is to want something new and to want something more. And I get bored really quickly, and I want something new again, and I want something more again. We hunger and we thirst. That's what we, what we do as human beings. But what we learn about Jesus is that He is the chief end to all hunger and to all thirsts. And what we see is that our purpose, our divine purpose, is found in the relationship with Him. Life with Jesus is not fighting the current of the ocean, but it's a life of a garden full of all that you need, guiding you into all glory. And glorifying God by delighting in Jesus is the antidote to Christian burnout. The antidote to Christian burnout. That if you're delighting in Jesus, you're not going to burn out because you're never going to hunger and you're never going to thirst. But if you do it in your own strength, if you try to share Jesus in your own strength, if you try to Glorify God in your own strength. You will burn out. But if you delight in the bread of life, all of your hunger and thirsts will be quenched. This is the message that we believe and live. That our, that our greatest good is God alone. And our lives are meant to reflect Him and enjoy Him forever. And the redemption of the world is found in the great Redeemer. Jesus, who's great and good and gentle and lowly. And in our attempt, in our pursuit of other-mindedness and kingdom-mindedness to the world, when you tell them about the Jesus that, they, that you believe, the goal is that they see a great God in you. They see a God that you enjoy. And it becomes an appetite because they see how much you love Him. We're going to take communion this morning. I'm going to say a quick prayer and then Tyler is going to come on up and lead us. Lord Jesus, thank You so much for being the bread of life that we get to take this morning and for quenching all of our hunger and all of our thirst and for promising, um, promising a life that is satisfied by You and is good and enjoyable to have in You, Lord. Pray that as we contemplate what it means to sacrifice, what, what it meant for You to sacrifice for us, that we take great joy in the fact that You uh, were not sent to the cross, but that You laid Your life down for Your sheep. In Your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.